Hey Common Scientists, it's Lauren, Dre, and Aiden coming to you this week on a topic of smarts, intelligence, and standardized testing. We'll see where this topic kind of ebbs and flows. Again, we're Common Scientists. Our goal is to do some research, come to the table, ask some questions, and work on finding some meaning and finding some answers that feel good for us as common scientists and that might even add value to our lives and we hope your lives too. So I'm gonna start off this week with this topic of standardized tests and intelligence with a question for the boys. Uh, when did you guys remember first being stressed out about a test that was uh, standardized or, or had a lot of pressure? Probably freshman year. Um, I can't remember the name, MC, whatever those things are called. Uh, I can't remember. Of high school. Freshman year of high school, yes. Okay. Um, of high school. I can remember being in like advisory or whatever, homeroom, whatever those things are in the morning and just sitting there in the back left corner and just being like, oh crap, this is going to show everybody I'm an idiot. <laughs> I was a little bit stressed out. So Dang. those were the MCAs, right? Yeah, I think so. So that's our Minnesota standardized test for students in high school. I'm guessing it differs state to state. Yeah, I think different. Most states, I think, I, I don't know if all states do. I, I'm pretty sure they do. But um, yeah, it's the Minnesota specific test. I honestly, so I'm, I'm a little little privileged in my my position uh in that i i hardly ever stressed about testing through like high school and my undergraduate uh college experience um but probably the more recent one that was a little bit outside of like the educational traditional educational track uh was taking a career certificate funded by an employer uh, where that was a little stressful because it was like a couple hundred dollars that the employer was investing in me and, and so that had a different kind of psychological stress to it um, but yeah throughout high school and college I never had much stress with tests because I just ha had a knack for test taking I was one of those kids who uh, certain people didn't like where I would I would show up um, and and could do well uh, with a little less studying than I think um, yeah it was usual but yeah I remember getting very stressed taking these tests extremely seriously uh, specific to the MCAs I think they start in middle school but maybe earlier I don't I don't recall taking them earlier but we we may have. So the MCA is the Minnesota Comprehensive Assessments, mm -hmm. and it's a test in reading, mathematics, and science, and it's used to meet federal and state legislative requirements. So I'm sure all states have some form of standardized testing to meet federal requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, but, oh man, I remember talking to my mom like two days ahead, and I'm like, okay, I need a good meal. We got a carbo load the night before. This is like sixth grade me. So if you can picture like little Lauren, just, yeah, I was like, mom, we got it. We got a carbo load the night before. I got to be ready for these standardized tests. Um, and I took it very seriously uh, and scored really well. So for those of you who don't know, the MCA tests based on grade level. So when you get a kickback, you 
uh, get a score that shows you how you compare to the average in like your maybe your school and then maybe your district and then I think probably your state and it will kind of rank you against them and then it will also generally give you like oh you do math at an 11th grade level or you do reading at a 12th grade level and that that was my earliest experience with standardized testing and also my earliest experience of identifying as someone who is smart which we can talk about later but uh yeah stress causing anxiety inducing for me for sure yeah uh i think it's i mean it's just bonkers to me how they have just permeated especially uh u.s culture uh, and we can talk a bit more about standardized test- testing elsewhere but uh from my understanding uh the kind of standardized testing craze started with the iq test um which i don't know enough about the development so i might have to rely on one of you guys to to speak on that some but it primarily tests your abstract reasoning from my uh understanding as well as like so like your verbal linguistic and your uh like logic uh skills and yeah i I, it's also as lauren mentioned the more recent standardized test so the iq test is also uh graded against uh your your peers uh so it's it's a relative score uh where you are compared against the the average uh test taker so yeah did did either you guys end up looking looking more into the the origins of the iq test so I can give a couple basics. Uh, the IQ was developed in the early, early 20th century by a German psychologist named William Stern. And the IQ, or intelligence quotient, was a measure of general intelligence. And as Aiden had kind of mentioned, more on abstract thinking and problem solving, not so related to a specific set of information. So I think that was a, yeah, that was a period in time when we started to think that we could measure intelligence and and try to measure progress in learning more more outright. Yeah, and it was used for a lot of different things. Um, It was especially used in the military, and I think it still is. Uh, I'm not so familiar with the current usage of it, Um, but one kind of... uh, one personal story that is a little a little illuminating as far as as far as the ability of the test to to measure whatever they measure is my grandfather who fought in World War Two. He, in a, in air quotes, cheated on the test. Um, I I mean he didn't he didn't cheat. He was just like smart about taking the test and that he went and asked the people administrating it do wrongs count against me? And so it was known that most people were not able to finish the test that they were administered. Um, and this test was super important because it was going to decide if you're going to be an officer or uh, like a grunt of the of like a private and, and at the, the base of the military pyramid. And they said, no, wrongs don't count against you. So uh, on learning that, on the last page of his test, he just filled out B. And sure enough, 
he was assigned an officership <laughs> and, and yeah uh, lucked out and was one of the few people in his unit that made it through uh europe and world war ii but it's kind of i mean that's just demonstrative of the the wide-ranging impacts that these standardized tests can have because in his case and in my case because he he made it through that uh experience at, like and i'm here today talking to everybody but um so it's just kind of uh bonkers to think about in some ways how how these tests have just completely had yeah that's he, an incredible story yeah. aiden's life literally depended <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah <laughs> that's an awesome story wow um yeah i think i mean what what's a better sign of intelligence other than the cheating in the system like your grandpa did like wow that's a smart guy he, he deserved a higher ranking than he got i'm sure so I know, Jerry, you looked into some of the history. I'd love to hear more about where your research went in terms of that. Yeah, so one fun fact. I don't know if the first exam in recorded history qualifies as a standardized test, but <laughs> Emperor Yang of Sui invented the exam in 587. He was 80, and he was quite a horrible person and also a horrible emperor as well. He wasn't successful. But this was an amazing invention that um, he made and actually for a pretty good cause as well. So he was kind of sick of nepotism. Nepotism mm -hmm. is like giving things to people because you know them, giving them high ranking. Like if your grandpa didn't take that test, he just got, he just became an official because he knew a general or something like that. That's nepotism, right? You see it all the time in the U.S. presidency, like Joe Biden's son. <coughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what he's up to in Ukraine, but yeah, things like that. So that's nepotism. So. Um, Emperor Yang was sick of that. He was like, enough of that. I'm actually going to create an exam so I can give people official ranking based on their talents. So, wow. 587 AD, Emperor Yang, shout out. <laughs> also, coming into uh, the turn of the 20th century, one thing, so you guys mentioned a little bit about like the mention of the modern IQ test, the modern standardized testing, for example, for World War I, there was the ex exam alpha, I believe where they asked all those questions just like they did for your grandpa. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you have to remember, keep in context at this period of time, is this is also the peak of eugenics. So you gotta be careful when you're talking about testing back then. So when you're like, why are they testing people? What's so important? Well, there was a group of human beings who thought they were superior to other human beings and that they should be able to reproduce and make a lot of money and live very good lives, while these other groups of human beings should not. Eugenics, you meaning good, EU meaning good, genetics meaning genes. So good genes, um, obviously most of us are familiar with Adolf Hitler, his eugenics movement and his, um, what's that called? Cleansing, what's mm -hmm. the word I'm looking for? Ethnic cleansing. Ethnic cleansing, yeah. um, trying to Gen kill off. Genocide. Yes, genocide, Holocaust, trying to kill off yeah. people who you see as less than genetically. Um, so there are definitely some very strong roots in standardized testing with racism, um, just feelings of superiority. And Carl Brigham is one of the guys who helped organize the first Army Alpha test, which kind of paved the way for standardized testing in the Western world. And he was a known racist. <laughs> and it was supposed to test IQ, but the problem was most of these tests, even today, but most back then especially, they were really vocab heavy. So if you weren't raised in a certain area mm -hmm. using certain words, 
you didn't know what these words meant and they were also just like crazy cultural so yeah. for example there would be questions like this composer is known for this and it's just like well if you didn't grow up listening to classical music or like if you didn't do that it's like you would have no like that's not iq that's just do, do i know this random fact right. that you guys all learned in fifth grade but i went to a different right. school or something like that mm -hmm. yeah um so that's not really testing anything other than yeah. did you go to this school and were you paying attention <laughs> and that's yeah. an issue we still have today yeah um also um with the influence of eugenics with standardized testing and iq tests this was also kind of what justified there's a what's it called it's called like the virginia um sterilization or whatever they did this from 1924 i believe the state our state of virginia not germany us uh from 1924 i believe to 1979 they sterilized which means to make it so you can't have kids over 7,000 people that they deemed unfit to reproduce and you can imagine that would be colored people of color homosexuals people on that spectrum um people on the autistic spectrum stuff like that all the way to like more severe cases of mental disorders um yeah you can use your imagination of who those people were mm -hmm. um also going on Brigham, he didn't stop with the army alpha he also was a part of creating the sat yes the same sat that we have today <laughs> same racist guy and one thing a couple things to kind of redeem Carl Brigham is I did hear read learn that he he ended up recanting his views of eugenics later in his life and he also ended up rebuking the SAT which he helped create and he said he had predicted that the test would become much more business-like and people would spend their efforts promoting the SAT and other standardized tests as opposed to bettering it and ensuring its effectiveness so that was actually really prudent of him. And later in his life, um, when he became a wiser man, he ended up kind of rebuking both of those things. So I was kind of proud of him for that. Hard to live a lifetime yeah. of racism. And then come back from that. But I was like, all right, how do you call Bring him. Yeah. <laughs> but we've seen that story before, right? Somebody thinks they have a great idea. They implement it. They get wrapped up. They dedicate their life to it. And then later in their life, when those pressures are off, they kind of take a look at it. And they're like, mm, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's such a good idea yeah but yeah so that's some of the origins of the sat army testing and iq testing yeah i think one one of the challenges that stuck out to you about the story about brigham uh it, and then standardized testing as well is and it's it's definitely an issue that's current uh is the possibility for redemption and with Brigham, like you said, okay, he, was, he might have behaved in an awful manner for most of his life, but then he, he apparently at least uh, learned his lesson. And, and, and the challenge, too, with these test scores is, is there's a single number that's assigned to your name at one snapshot in time. And it can, I mean, completely alter your life trajectory. And then the reason why, too, why I jumped to that kind of like highlighting that uh, the uh, need for for redemption is, uh, I mean, it's just kind of been pretty popular where where somebody might like a, a 
video might come out of somebody when they're like a, a high schooler or whatever else and there's all this controversy and and mm-hmm. i mean the brain is not developed at that point or whatever it is it's yeah. like in in the age of of measuring and like digital recording it's it's a conversation that i think needs to be had um is it something that you've at least or you've thought of at, uh at all recently lauren uh in the context of standardized testing or more generally rephrase your question what are like, you asking me have you thought of like the the need for redemption at all um or like how that might be related to standardized testing um i'm not sure that i understand what you're asking i'm sorry yeah okay it's all good um, um just a couple of thoughts Hold yeah. on, sorry. I do, I do want to touch on no things because you inspired me going back to our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I definitely did want to make a point of his redemptive qualities later on in his life and give him his credit. And then also, you might be able to judge my view on standard testing based on how I spun the origins, even though those are all facts. Also, standardized testing does also have some good origins, right? It is trying to fit people where they, where they would best succeed. And you know, in the best, <laughs> if, you use the, if you use the best interpretation of them, yeah. it does. There is value to them for sure to see. Okay, this is how everybody else is. Like, where are you at? Do you understand these concepts? Are you familiar with these? Were you educated like the rest of the world, or do you need mm-hmm. some extra help, or do you need this, whatever? Um, but just as I mentioned, you just have to remember this is the age of eugenics, where everybody, specifically people in power, were obsessed yeah. with ranking people by intelligence and by race. And this is also the height of phrenology, which is judging people's characteristics and worth based on their skull shape and size. So you just kind of have to keep those things in mind. And when you take something similar to like the origins of the police, which I'm, we don't need to get into completely into that, but like when you look into the origins of the police, you can see like old badges that say like slave catcher and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like, it's tough for me when you're talking about redemption or like reconciliation or reform, it's like when things have such a dangerous, detrimental, like disgusting origin, how can we take that exact same system and just like make some tweaks? Right. You know what I mean? And that's, I see that similarly with the standardized testing, which both the police force and standardized testing, I do see the value of them. And I'm not yeah. for destroy, complete uh, abolishing either of them. But same thing, it's like when the origins are so rooted in like bigoted stances and created by bigoted people it's hard for me to be like oh yeah don't worry same thing but we just made some tweaks right i'm like uh, i don't know yeah right. wanted to get that off my chest your question yeah um yeah i guess uh yeah i was thinking of it in, in like uh like as far as redemption goes just like in a in a slightly different context but i think that that's super fair super fair about thinking about it in terms of the context of like redeeming the standardized test itself <laughs> if, <laughs> okay, if, okay. If, if like <laughs> if, if that like uh yeah no worries uh, no like that's well, that's my own I didn't understand that's, the own, question that's, own, that's an issue with my own speech uh clearly <laughs> is, is that i was not able to i redeem yourself right now with a better way <laughs> <laughs> um no oh. but just to take it in in the direction that you're taking it i think uh yeah it's it's like i mean it's a question of how how do we kind of move forward there's all sorts of issues with the standardized test its origins or at least the modern standardized test the origins of that 
are rooted in a lot of issues and have definitely been used to justify the status quo in a lot of ways. And um, I know, Lauren, this was a, a topic of your, uh, you had brought it up because you had been thinking about it or something else. Uh, I'm curious uh, what some of your your thoughts are based on Andre and my back and forth. Yeah, okay, so a couple thoughts. I listened to a fantastic podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I can't remember what it's called, so we'll have to figure it out and link it. But it was about the Kalakak family, which was a study in heredity of feeble-mindedness that happened in 1912. Uh, It was a book written by American psychologist and eugenicist Henry H. Goddard. So our talk about eugenics and how this informed testing and also like the unfair treatment and sterilization of many disparaged individuals. That was something that came to mind. I was trying to pull up my research to, to try to jog my memory in what had happened in this study. But it was a study that was cited uh, in Nazi Germany for reasons um, for the ethnic cleansing or the genocide that was happening, as well as for legislature that existed Uh, in the U.S. to sterilize individuals without their consent or choice. And it was a study that was based actually off of untrue data in the idea that heredity or genetics, that means that you're like born with the amount of smarts that you might have. So that was one piece that was flowing through my mind that uh, in an instance when science had it totally wrong, Um, at least a scientist had it totally wrong and I think those are important things to talk about on common science because uh, scientists are not always right that's why we as people have to do some research ourselves yeah so that was one big piece that came to mind Uh, the idea of standard testing more as a whole I think is important in a sense but it's scary and I think it's sad that we have not updated things since i mean someone who was clearly overtly racist helped inform something like the sat that's still used today in college admissions so while it may have been revised i think i mean even not calling it something else is kind of a slap in the face to uh people who were disparaged in the beginning because of of the way that the test was developed i think that standardized testing as a whole is important and does and will continue to serve a role in society. I just think there's gotta be major revisions, both for reasons of of accommodating people who have different backgrounds than the typical like European uh, Judeo-Christian type background that it's geared toward. And then also in terms of allowing people to achieve their fullest potential. So for me, starting in like fifth grade, I started testing in a 12th grade level um, for both reading and math, I think, for sure for reading, but I can't totally remember how the metric looked for math, but way, way higher than my peers. And I grew up in a small town. Um, They did the best of what they had. I'm super grateful for my educational experience as like a middle schooler and a high schooler. But I thought that I'd tapped out in like sixth grade right like which is nuts because we know that we can continue to increase and improve and so for someone who measured way higher than the average probably just because I was a nerd and like to read a lot specific to reading um, I'm incredibly frustrated with what standardized tests taught me at a young age uh, and and 
what they did not teach me. No standardized test ever told me like, hey, you're reading at a 12th grade level, maybe you should start going to the community library uh, where you can be more challenged. Maybe you should start taking a class that will, that will push you to like a higher potential. Because then when I left small town Minnesota in the rural, rural north and went to college, I had a lot of trouble. It was a major learning curve because all of a sudden I was surrounded by a bunch of people who probably also would have scored way higher than the average, you know, for, for Minnesota. So I think those are a couple of pieces that come to mind for both reasons that I hope standardized tests can change uh, related to disparity and related to uh, what it's not doing for students. Yeah. Um, one thing, so some thoughts there. One thing that I'm curious, Lauren, what your experience was, uh, and I'll elaborate, uh, but one thing that stuck out to me in what you were mentioning was how you were scoring much higher than your peers. Uh, one thing that I've observed is that uh, students who are testing below their peers grow uh, more despondent and struggle uh, to stay as engaged in school um, because they they feel like less than and they feel um, like there's a psychological impact there. I'm curious what sorts of like psychological impact do you think that that might have had on your educational development? Scoring above average? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a couple of things. I was, so please everyone give me like a couple grains of salt, right? Like I was immature prefrontal cortex, right? lots going on, hormones, right? But like, man, I felt pretty elite. I felt, <laughs> I felt like, I was I'm, I'm serious, yeah. like I was like, man, I'm scoring a 12th grade level and I'm a seventh grader. I don't need to pay attention in English. I don't need to work to the fullest of yeah. my ability on this. I don't need to, I mean, exert additional effort to, tr to try to, like, push myself because I've made it. Like, yeah. 12th grade, what's next? College. I got six years till then. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it absolutely set me up to have a lower uh, or just... I mean, to have a crippled educational experience from that point on, it absolutely did. And even despite that, so students who tested like high enough on these sorts of things were allowed to um, in, enroll in like enrichment classes is what they're called in my high school. And mm -hmm. I'm amazed we even had anything like that. But even those classes like oh, so for 40 minutes when other kids are just reading, you go and you learn about what, like I think we learned about Greek philosophy and I mean, also stuff that I don't think really could have really pushed me to achieve or to realize my potential and excite me about education and excite me about learning. Mm -hmm. And I am really grateful. It wasn't until eighth grade when like my eighth grade science teacher talked to me about maybe not being challenged enough in school that I started taking college classes online in high school. But had that not happened, I would have probably continued to surf through high school, never being challenged. Um, yeah. I'm super grateful for that teacher because after that experience, I'm not kidding you, you guys, I asked for extra homework in my classes. I like, 
I went to my high school English teacher and I was like, listen, I'm bored as shit. Like, I'll do all your homework, but can you give me some extra homework so I'm not bored? And I'm not kidding you, I read Shakespeare to the class and then I went out and read a different book in the hallway for most of the time. I was, I mean, disconnected in a lot of ways from the education that other students were receiving because someone told me like, oh, Lauren, like if you're bored, there is more for you. Like there is more available to you. And I'm not saying I was genius and by far not, especially when I got to college and realized that, I mean, what I was set up for was just so different depending on where people came from. Um, And I think I've still struggled a lot in my adult life and in my goal toward higher education uh, because of some of those things. But man, I'm super grateful that one teacher pulled me aside because had they not, I would have been lost yeah, that's an amazing anecdote, and it, there's so much in there. It's true. I thought of like so many. I was like, wait, so many things, and then I forgot like half the things. But that was awesome. Um, definitely, thank you for sharing. And it, number one, it's amazing how like one statement, like that, can be such a big deal. It's so crazy. I remember when I was a kid, um, one like it was like my girlfriend's mom. So I come from a poverty where it's not like my family never made any money. So I was in this business class in high school and it was talking about these different jobs. And I was like, oh, office manager, like they make like 50K. Like that looks like a great job. Like I'm gonna grow up and be that. And I was also a decent student. So when I told my, I was just on a drive with my girlfriend's mom one time and I told her, I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna be like an office manager. And she was like, she looked at me like crazy and they were well off. And she just looked at me like I was insane. She was like, no, she's like, you're gonna be a CEO or an owner. Like you're gonna be running that joint. She's like, you're way more than that. And I was just like, that blew me. I never forgot that. I was floored. Like, I was like, $50,000 a year. Like, no one in my family's ever made that. Like, that was incredible. So I was like, oh, man. So just that simple statement. Um, and it, sorry, that just reminded me of that. But then, going, was your enrichment period? I, I missed it. Was it just like an advisory or was it like an honors area? It was middle school, um, and it was an, like an advisory. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I, like, I don't know. The smart kids were invited for lack of a better whatever, uh, whoever tested above some arbitrary yeah. threshold met during uh, the time that other kids were like working on their homework. Mm. And then there were sometimes materials for us to engage in, but more often than not, we kind of as students got to interact with each other okay. and engage with some materials. Okay, gotcha. Hmm. Okay, that changed a different question that I had. But also, See, this is an interesting thing. So I think a lot of people, they see um, honors classes and these special programs, gifted and talented schools, stuff like that. They see it as like an unfair advantage because a lot of times you are chosen at a pretty young age to get enrolled into these type of courses and classes in schools. Um, And then a lot of times students who didn't come from a relatively privileged flat background didn't have that support system to show their talents they never really get into that and then there's social pressures from their own community where it's just like oh don't do that I guess for nerds or whatever and you've never done it before so you're like now you're 15 years old you're like, mm, I guess I won't but then there's also um, talking about biases and psychological stuff there's also teachers that have these ingrained um, biases based on their experiences when they start saying things like you know what like it's gonna be a lot of work oh you know like you it's gonna it might you might get a B instead of an A or this and that and they start talking to these kids in this way too versus like the usually according to the research <laughs> uh, white 
student who's always been a good student, they're like, oh, of course you're going to do it. Keep striving, keep doing more. Da, 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 da. Yeah. There's that type of thing. I remember even in, so I was a, I became a decent student in high school, but a pretty bad student in middle school. And, and I actually went to a gifted and talented school when I was a kid too. But um, there was a, like my junior or senior year when I was applying for scholarships and stuff like that, my, like a lot of teachers that were like asking me if I'm going to go to college. I was just like, are you asking these other A students if they're going to go to college? It's like, I have a 4.0. You think I'm not going to college? And like, sure, I'm sure most of them didn't know, but I'm just like, you think I'm not going to college? I'm the captain of the basketball team and I have a 4.0. I was like, why are you asking me if I'm going to college? I was like, I was, it was so bizarre. And I was just like, oh, I, like, it was so weird. But um, so there's all these little things and continue. Man, that's, I just, I, I just want to comment on that because that blows my mind. I mean, no one ever asked me if I was going to college. They yeah. asked me when I was going to college where I was going to college, what scholarships I was applying to. I mean, those are the questions I was asked. That, that blows my mind. And I, well, I'll let you finish, and then I'll comment on something else. It's all good. And then um, what I was going to say next was still with biases and stuff, but we can maybe get into it later when we wrap around standardized testing again. But um, and some of the teachers, too, it was a lot of them were a lot of like, oh, you're going to college, right? So it was like a little bit more positive, but it was still like a question. It wasn't like, oh, where are you going? Like, have you applied to this place? Like, oh, you should go there. And a lot, of, a lot of teachers who knew me were like that as well. But just that any teacher would say this to me was like, I was like, dude, who are you talking to? <laughs> like, I don't know what's <laughs> going on here. I'm like, you're out of your mind. But go ahead. <laughs> no, then I, I just wanted to comment, too, on the biases of teachers and the way that you can be kind of funneled into one category or the other. So I was great at math in uh, elementary school and middle school and tested quite high, but I was told and taught early on that math was irrelevant. And that was, mm. it was especially irrelevant for me as a female. Yeah. And I, so because of that, I took no math in, in high school, like, whatever it was the bare minimum I don't know like trigonometry and algebra one or something freshman year and then I took no math because I was like oh well it's irrelevant and I'm a woman so I like so math is not for me it won't do anything for me in my life and I was funneled out of math into reading into writing into these other spaces that today I'm pretty good at but music probably too music yeah. too uh but like man, the career opportunities today that are available in math and that would be available for me as a woman in math that I, starting in middle school, was discouraged from, that pisses me off. Yeah. Uh, and it's not necessarily at a fault of the teachers. Maybe some of them just don't know. Uh, and some of them do have the bias that men perform better. And generally, if you have that bias, <laughs> then you're going to also see that in your classroom, especially if you're telling your women, your girls, that they're not going to be good at math. Yeah. But that's something that just comes to mind yeah. also in that conversation. Think, 100%. Yeah, I think a couple things uh, just come to mind as far as, Lauren, your experience in math and then Dre, yours with, with college. I think uh, as far as com combating some of these biases go, I think uh, a big first step is awareness. So having these conversations, uh, it's good that we're having them and, and putting these experiences out to the world uh and and yeah i, I think that's a, a huge huge first step um but obviously there's bigger issues at play in, in terms of how the school system and is set up in the u.s uh and 
it is wild to me that we live in such a wealthy nation, but we are scoring just <laughs> mediocre globally in terms of math and science. I, I couldn't tell you the exact rankings that I've come across, but it's crap um, compared to many, many like Asian countries in particular, and but also uh, like many European countries. And, and uh, yeah, and it's like this question of, to me then is is what is what is the point firstly like i mean since we've been focusing so much on on education uh what is the point of it like lauren talked about the career opportunities that come from math uh and then like what is the point of the standardized test because as dre did mention too the the redeeming qualities of it are that it it does have i mean it does it can help people find uh positions within society that they might be uh, more aligned with but yeah I'm just I'm curious yeah I just want to comment on the United States ranking despite having the second best education system globally I'm sure there's some metric that decides that according to the business insider report in 2018 its education ranking was 38th in math and 24th in science and we're talking countries yeah 38th in math and 24th in science which organization was that uh the world population review yeah okay i think that's a pretty standard and business insider yeah uh yeah it's it's bonkers and and it's it also kind of debunks the myth of american exceptionalism uh, in that that we are so crap we are so crap at math and science um have you guys seen that video that clip where that it's like some politician or something he's on stage and that girl stands up and like can you tell us why the united states is the best oh, country in the world yeah. and he's like yeah. we're, we're not or whatever yeah um that video if you guys haven't listened to or seen that video youtube we'll link it, it. We'll, we'll link it for it's sure it's so good um it's i think it's staged it's like acted out but it's super powerful yeah it's like a tv show yeah or something. yeah yeah. super powerful it's like this <clears throat> this female student can you tell us why the united states is number one is like the best in the world mm-hmm. and is this just this riveting response uh yeah we'll link it it's so awesome good. uh but Aiden, to get to your point like so what is the role where could where could we do better um man i think it's important to have an understanding of where students are falling in relationship to an average And I also think measurement of achievement is important as well in producing both informed citizens as we live in a democracy, depending on who you talk to, it's a democracy, Uh, because we live in a place where we believe that we can elect people to make decisions for us and or we can vote on our own decisions. I think it's important that we have some basis of shared knowledge and understanding, right, for that purpose specifically also to live in a society where we are governed right by some principles that we all buy into there's has to be some standards and thereby there's got to be some standards of education and so I think if anyone is like oh just do away with standardized tests just get rid of it all I, I don't think that that's the answer but I think we can and should do better yeah I agree. Um, one thing, so I did pull up the video, and I could play the audio if people are curious. It's four and a half minutes. Um, we could just also just link it, it, to, just the, it. <laughs> to the just show notes. It. Just go for it. All right. 
All right, I'm gonna hold this close to the microphone and hopefully it works. Lauren might need to monitor the recording software and see if we're getting a good. Uh... Let's move on to the next question. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Jenny. I'm a sophomore and this is for all three of you. Can you say in one sentence or less what, <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, the New York Jets. <laughs> no, I'm going to hold you to an answer on that. What makes America the greatest country in the world? Well, Lewis and Sharon said it. Diversity and opportunity and freedom and freedom. I'm not letting you go back to the airport without answering the question. Constitution is a masterpiece. James Madison was a genius. The Declaration of Independence is, for me, the single greatest piece of American writing. You don't look satisfied. One's a set of laws and the other's a declaration of war. I want a human moment from you. What about the people? Why is it not the greatest country, country in the world? Professor, that's my answer. You're saying yes. Let's talk about fine. The Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how can they lose so goddamn always? Hey, and with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yet you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is... There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're 7th in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, 3rd in median household income, number 4 in labor force, and number 4 in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed. We cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly 
technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't, we didn't scare so easy. We were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Enough? What? Yeah. <laughs> so good one line that he said in there toward the end that was like i think really encompasses a lot of kind of how i feel is that he said about standardized testing and what we're talking about right he said that we used to aspire to intelligence not what he's like not make it make us feel inferior he said mm. we we aspired to intelligence but we did not belittle it Yes. Yeah. But that's like one of the things too. Okay, I think I misinterpreted it a little bit, but yeah. also too like belittling people who don't score well on the standards right. or people who might not be as intelligent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, in my personal experience though too, as far as the belittling part goes, I think it's so funny. Uh, I mean, Lauren can uh, relate to being called a dumb reader at times growing up, and I experienced that as well. Uh, just. Yeah, uh, we were made fun of for for being intellectually curious. I was uh, for sure uh, when I was when I would be reading or whatever else uh, during a yeah whatever it might might have been. But and then on the other side of the spectrum, there are students like my younger brother and sister who both have dyslexia, who have most of their lives scored below average on the standardized metrics of intelligence. And, and yeah, so they, they also are taught to believe or are shown that they are inferior or, or less than or not capable of achieving things in this world in the same way that someone who might score higher would be in. A lot of that is super false. A lot yeah. of that is super yeah, false. Yeah, I agree. I think the one positive note and there's things that i disagree with what he said but i think that the positive note is how he said the first step is admitting that we have a problem and another quote that comes to mind uh is by upton sinclair uh, and he exposed a lot of issues within the the u.s during his time uh and it is you do not have to be satisfied with america as you found it you can change it and i think yeah, I mean, there's a lot that needs to be done to get away from uh, the the no child left behind, uh, like focus on standardized testing and, and other regulations that have, have had quite, I think in my mind at least, quite clear uh, detrimental impacts on uh, our excitement for education and has taken time away from getting people enthused about lifelong learning. Um, one thing, one message too that I've come to lately is, uh, I mean, we talk about like 
getting away from these standardized tests that were developed in such a, I mean, kind of tortured past, uh, one, uh, lesson I've learned lately is to look to other places around the world who have, have things, uh, possibly more fit figured out. Uh, are you guys at all, uh, familiar with Finland's education system? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I, I'll highlight it because they're, uh, education system is often touted as uh, one of the best if not the best in the world and it's funny because it's a small tiny uh, Scandinavian country and I think but I think we have a lot of lessons to learn from them and they have a number of practices that seem outlandish by American standards uh, but so school formal schooling doesn't start until age seven so they they let kids be kids so that's one unique factor. They do not conduct any standardized testing until they, except for one exam called the matriculation test for entering university. So it's kind of like the equivalent of the ACT, but that's the only test, uh, standardized test that these students have to do. Otherwise, examinations are created by teachers for their students on, uh, on a classroom basis. Another kind of wild uh, idea too is some teachers can have students for up to six years uh, as opposed to and be able to build a, more of a relationship with the students and and track how they're doing over a longer period of time uh, so those are, are a few ideas that I'd just like to to highlight uh, from from Finland um, but I think it yeah it is just man yeah that Every time that hearing that speech gives me gives me the chills. What were what were some more of your reactions, Dre? Yeah, <clears throat> he said that we rank number one for incarcerated people per capita, and I know Scandinavia also has, at least Norway has like some kind of forward <laughs> progressive yeah. view on what prison systems look like. Mm -hmm. I don't know enough about it. I just know like they're doing something pretty different out there. Yeah. So that's another thing too. We can look at another country who's doing something much better than us and something else that needs to be reformed. Yeah, I think too it's worthy of note, not so related to the video, and I will just say again, that's kind of a theatrical and powerful, but also theatrical explanation of some of these things, and also touches on some other highly politicized ideas aren't not so related to education, um, that probably even some of us common scientists on this cast might not agree with each piece and it may be also out of date so I just want to put a couple of disclaimers out uh, but I think it's worthy of note that outside of these standardized tests there are a lot of different theories of intelligence and what actually could measure intelligence and I think asking the question to like Aiden said like what is what is important and how could we how could we better set people up for their strengths maybe would be another question to be successful and happy in society and I think asking some of those questions could get us to a better place could get us to a closer answer of setting up students and learners to be excited about lifelong learning and education yeah I agree and so one other thing is like there's there's focusing on the 
on the, the smarts of the students. Uh, and I think that that's totally true that we need to uh, maybe think outside a little outside the box a, a tad in, in the U.S. here about um, what even is the end goal or, or like of the educational system. And um, because at present we're, we're really measuring math and reading at the expense of other subjects and uh, yeah and also at the expense of other professions too like there's a lot of a lot of emphasis on um, I mean it is I mean it's a, a another negative sy- sy- symptom of the of the symptom that, that Dre experienced uh, his like some of his teachers biases against his uh, going to college but um, for the most part, our education system is set to send people off to college, but there's all sorts of other skills that people have like uh, that are extremely valuable, like an artistic sense, a like bodily sense, a musical sense, uh, whatever it el- else it is. Um, yeah, so I think I think that that is yeah, just all all things to investigate further as a common scientist and and maybe find what what which of your own skills might help you find a, a better place uh in our society at large but yeah yeah 100 percent agree <clears throat> and i think as we kind of said but so intelligence is in a really important trait right mm-hmm. <laughs> very valuable it's made our species super successful and it can make it can make our society super successful when intelligent people make intelligent decisions however you hope Yes, you hope. You hope. the SAT does not measure intelligence. That's what we need to understand. So we need to stop putting so much pressure on kids and stop pretending like it shows you some, it, it does have value, but it's not like your, even intelligence isn't your worth as a person either, but it's not even your intelligence. So it doesn't really have a ton of like, I don't know how many, how much predictive qualities it's going to have. Cause if you are smart, that doesn't mean you're going to perform super well in the SAT. If you are not smart, or if you don't perform well in the SAT, that doesn't mean you're not smart. You can go into the world, like you said, with your other forms of intelligence or just normal traditional intelligence and be successful. And the SAT used to stand for Scholastic Aptitude Test, aptitude implying intelligence. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kaplan, or Kaplan, which we've all seen his name surrounding standardized testing, he set out to kind of dispel this illusion and he created these study groups and so you'll see these like compliant ACT study groups if you can study for something that means it isn't intelligence that means it's just knowledge base because you studied for it if you're intelligent like you, you should just be able to show up and think and reason through things so they had to change the name of the SAT and now the SAT doesn't even mean stay for anything it just is SAT it has no initialism or anything like that so it does not represent intelligence it represents you were in a school system for a long time and you learned to value and become good at writing the correct answers on a test. Right. That's my view. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I hear you. And I think to, um, to highlight that, the SAT and the ACT are generally indicative of first year success in college, which, yeah, again, is very very is varied right uh in that yeah it, it should show you someone who knows how to take a test in a system that's set up 
for people who know how to take tests. And I think that that is a problem, but I think some schools, many schools, are moving away from putting a lot or as much value on the SAT and ACT and looking at more holistic experiences and writing ability um, and GPA in high school and other things, other things of that nature. I'm curious, um, using Gardner's theory of multiple intelligence, I'm wondering which, which of these you guys think you have the highest intelligence in. So, Gardner was a psychologist who proposed that there were multiple different types of intelligences and that you could, you could have one or more. He didn't think that the IQ testing fully and accurately depicted a person's ability. So he came up with eight different intelligence based on skills and abilities uh, that are valued in different cultures. So the one was first is bodily or kinesthetic intelligence, which is the ability to control your body movements or to be able to handle objects skillfully. Someone who is bodily or kinesthetically intelligent might be a basketball player uh, or a surgeon or um, man, yeah, any other kind of sport that involves a lot of bodily movement. Then there's interpersonal intelligence, the ability to detect and respond appropriately uh, in like social settings. Then there's intrapersonal intelligence, the capacity to be self-aware. Then there's logical or math. Finally, music. Then naturalist, which is like recognizing animals, plants, and objects. Then verbal. And finally, visual. And those last couple are more self-explanatory. Okay, so I'm curious, guys, which ones do you think you would score high in, according to Gardner? Probably intrapersonal. Intrapersonal. Um, for me, it would be the what was it again? The verbal, linguistic, and I think the visual, spatial. Uh, probably most so the logical, mathematical. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I think I think the the multiple it's uh, cool that you bring it up, Lauren, because it's one that I've uh, thought about some, and I've uh, I think read his book or yeah, or a book about it by somebody else. Uh, but yeah, it's it's I think I think it has it's been criticized because of a like a lack of empirical evidence, whatever that means. I mean, just in and general so this is kind of theory is in opposition to the the theory of general intelligence which like iq is meaning to uh mm -hmm. test where it's like oh if you're generally smart you can do most things um is kind of like the my super basic understanding and translation of it um but i think that there is there is a good amount of evidence for the the multiple intelligences theory and one of the uh, one of the some of the most extreme evidence of that is those of savants, so people who are extremely, extremely talented in one of those dimensions, um, but I mean, quite incapable in the others. So yeah, uh, it's cool that you brought it up. What about you, Lauren? What what would you say are your uh, dimensions that you you think you would score highly on? Mm, I think I'd probably say. Like jack of all trades, master of none, failure at three, <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, like bodily and kinesthetically unaware, 
Um, <laughs> logical, mathematical intelligence. I don't know, like mediocre. It would have maybe been good had I had different direction early on. And okay. yeah, naturalistic intelligence growing, but still crap. So, I mean, other than that, interpersonal, intrapersonal, probably high, musical, probably high, ver verbal, probably high, but I don't know. It's, it's really hard to judge. Here's a, a bit of an aside that just like popped up in my mind on you bringing up the naturalistic intelligence and uh, something that came up in my research that I thought was bonkers to me um, and is kind of like, it's, it's funny. I mean, we do as humans pride ourselves on, on our intelligence, whatever that means, <laughs> as we kind of just discussed how, how challenging it is to define. Uh, but there recently in 2018, Christopher Heckscher, an associate professor at Delaware State University on, a, on observing the breeding behavior of viries, a species of thrust, a thrush, sorry, a bird, uh, predicted that the 2018 Atlantic hurricane season would be worse than average, whereas most weather models uh, predicted, predicted that it would be a more mild season. So these birds were more accurate than the weather models uh, based on their, their breeding behavior. Um, and to take it away from the human species and, and just like, yeah, and I just thought it was uh, bonkers to me. Like we, we spend so much time thinking about intelligence and standardized tests and, and how, we can, how we can find and identify the, the math nerds to program the computers to come up with these weather models, and yet there are these birds that can, can do better. Um, but yeah, it was just a funny aside that just popped into my head after you, you brought up the, the naturalistic intelligence. <laughs> Uh, yeah, how, how long, Dre, do you think until, until we, we uh, have these birds replacing the math nerds? Or do you think we'll, we'll still be... Um, <laughs> hopefully still be they don't. Let them. them live their lives. But there's definitely a ton that we can learn from the natural or from nature and animals. Yeah. Well, common scientists, we have been all over the board relating <laughs> to intelligence, theories of multiple intelligence, intelligence in birds, <laughs> and also standardized testing and some of the major challenges associated with the history of standardized testing and the current reality of standardized testing. So hopefully this cast encouraged you to ask some questions about your own intelligence and also the system that we live in. And with that, common scientists, we will hear from you next week. <laughs>